Friday evening service that we open our Bibles together. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. They'll be coming around. The passage that we're going to look at tonight to guide your reflection is actually a passage of Scripture that was written about 600 years before Jesus was even born. And about 630 years before the events that we celebrate this evening. So it was centuries before Jesus that this text was written. And yet, with precision, with clarity, it teaches us about the events of this night. Now actually, if you're, if you're able to turn there, turn to Isaiah chapter 53. And as you're turning there, I want to tell you a brief story from the New Testament. There was a, a man who was a foreigner to Israel. He was actually an Ethiopian. And he was traveling through Israel. He was some kind of government official. We don't know his exact position. But in Acts chapter 8, we're told about an encounter he had with one of the very earliest Christians, a man named Philip. And I want you to see what happens to him, or just listen, just listen to what happens to him as he reads the passage that you're turning to now. Here's what happens. He's reading the book of Isaiah, it says, and then the Spirit had said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? what we will be reading tonight. And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture he was reading is this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation for his life is removed from the earth. He's reading the passage that we're going to look at. And here's what Philip said to him. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does this prophet say? Of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And they went along the road. And they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. This passage that we're going to turn our attention to for just a few brief minutes tonight is, is the passage that was quoted most by the earliest Christians. All our records of the early church suggest that more than any other text in Scripture, they read and proclaimed and declared this chapter, Isaiah 53. And one of the reasons was because when this chapter is proclaimed and taught and understood, people see Jesus. Just like this Ethiopian man saw Jesus shortly after Jesus' ascension into heaven. So I want to read it. I want to read Isaiah 53. And then I'd like to pray again with you. And then we're going to look at this important chapter that presents to us 
Jesus Christ crucified. Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 1, and I'll read the whole chapter. It's 12 verses long. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him. No appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised. And we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore. And our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken. Smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? His grave was assigned with wicked men. Yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. And he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great. And he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Join me now in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, as we approach your word, we are grateful. We're grateful that you've given us this word. We're grateful for your spirit who is at work in our midst, working through your word. We're grateful that this is a living and active word, sharper than any two-edged sword. We're grateful that as our Lord tells us, all the scriptures speak of him. We thank you that we can come together and praise your name this evening and reflect upon the death of your son. We pray that as we open your word, you would show us with clarity who your son is 
and what he has done. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. This portion of scripture, as I've said, was read and preached and taught and discussed more than any other part of the scriptures in the early church. It was absolutely vital to the lives of those first Christians. It was, it was a, a passage that they went to again and again to learn who Jesus was. And, and indeed, it, it does present Jesus' death on the cross with real clarity, even though it was written some 600 years before Jesus' birth even occurred. If you look at it within the context of the whole book of Isaiah, if you read through Isaiah from the very beginning, what you would see is that actually this text is, is part of a series of passages in the book. As the book of Isaiah progresses, there's a, there's a character who's introduced into the prophecy. And, and, and he's a, a character who's going to come in the future. And, and he's called the servant of the Lord. And there are these songs, these, these poetic uh, commentaries on this servant of the Lord. These little bits of poetry in Isaiah that tell us who this servant is and what he will do. And, and, and they come to this crescendo at the end of Isaiah 52 and in Isaiah 53. Because most of the songs about the servant portray him in, in great glory. They portray him as a kind of conquering hero that, that God will send one day. But then, then there's this turn. And we realize that the servant is also one who suffers. And I want to look at this chapter with the, with the few minutes we have and divide it up into three sections, three descriptions that Isaiah gives us of this suffering servant. And the first section is this. It comes right at the beginning. I want, I want us to turn our attention to, to what this servant's reception would be. As Isaiah prophesies 600 and some years in the future, he, he tells us how God's servant, whom we know is Jesus Christ himself, how God's servant will be received by the people. And here's what it says in verse 2. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground, but he had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him. In other words, for all the centrality and importance of this servant's work, Isaiah makes it very clear that this one to come, whom we know as Jesus, this one to come wouldn't look special in any particular way. This is one of the problems, of course, with many of the, the movies that we see about the life of Jesus. Some of them come on TV around this time of year, and the difficulty with them is, there are probably many difficulties with them, but one difficulty with them is, you can always tell who Jesus is in the scene. You know, he's, he's, the, he's better looking, he's a little taller than everyone else, he has this sort of piercing gaze, and you get the sense, this is a, this is a charismatic figure, this is this is someone I'm drawn to, even, even on the screen. And yet, and yet, that's actually exactly the opposite of what the prophet tells us. 
The prophet tells us that this suffering servant, this one to whom we sing and in whose name we gather tonight, had no stately form or majesty, nothing that would draw people to him. In other words, he was, he was looked at as, as unremarkable in terms of his physical appearance. Now, as we know, when we read the Gospels, his teaching is something else. When people hear his teaching, they say, he teaches as one with authority. Who can forgive sins but God alone? How is it that this man heals the sick? So his actions and his words are, are something else, but in appearance, in appearance, unremarkable. Nothing to draw him to us. And in fact, it says, it goes further in verse 3. Not only is there nothing that was attractive about him that would draw people. In fact, the reception that he got, according to verse 3, was that he was despised. Forsaken of men. A man of sorrows. And acquainted with grief. I wonder about you this evening. You're like everyone else in the world. You've experienced rejection. You've experienced sorrow, great grief in your heart. You know what it is to be alienated from other people, misunderstood. Sometimes it's deserved, other times not. Do you know that's the picture of Jesus? That Isaiah gives us someone who was rejected, despised, man of sorrows. So we need to see that first of all, that Isaiah is very clear that Jesus was not someone who was immediately recognized. In fact, he wasn't recognizable in any particular way. Not someone to whom People were necessarily drawn physically and certainly acquainted with much grief. Isn't that one of the clearest things we can see when we think about the events we celebrate tonight? That at the end of it all, even those closest to Jesus, even those people who at some level knew who he was, abandoned him completely. A man of great sorrows. John puts it this way in his gospel. He says, he came unto his own, his own people, and his own received him not. People who should have understood, didn't understand, rejected him. A man of sorrows. That's his reception. But what, what was his mission? This is perhaps the heart of Isaiah 53. What was it that this servant came to do? He was rejected, but what did he come for? And what we see when we look at verses 4 through 6, or really all the way through the rest of the chapter, is that the mission of this servant related to the relationship between God and man. That is, he, he came to do something for man in order to change the relationship between God and man. 
in order to understand this, it, it might be good for us to understand a little bit about the Bible's picture of humanity. This is something that's made clear in Isaiah, but it's even clearer if you start at the very beginning of the Bible. If you start your Bible and open to page one of it, you see that God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. God created human beings in his own image. And then what we see is that God gave these perfect conditions for, for his first created uh, human beings, Adam and Eve, to live in. And, and he gave them a particular command. And what we read in Genesis chapter 3 is that, is that Adam and Eve flagrantly disobeyed God's command. They, they turned their backs on his provision. They, they turned their hearts towards something that he had told them not to partake of. And, and in so doing, they, they changed the course of human history. And what we see from Genesis 3 on, and this is true in Isaiah, and this is true today. What we see from Genesis 3 on is that human beings have, by their nature, uh, major problems between themselves and God. Uh, first of all, they're, they're under God's condemnation. This is because the Bible teaches us that God can't abide with sin. He has to punish it. God says over and over again, I will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Or, or in the New Testament, he says, the wages of sin is death. That, that, that's, that's what I, I have to do. That's what I will do towards sin and towards sinners. So there's this problem from Genesis 3 on of condemnation, punishment that has to be dealt with. There's also a problem with alienation. Human beings from Genesis 3 on, you can see this very clearly right at the beginning of your Bibles, human beings are, are separated from God. They're, they're alienated from Him. Not only are they under His wrath and deserving of His punishment, but, but there's also a, a great distance now between them. This is very vividly portrayed in Genesis when God casts Adam and Eve out of the garden and, and they, need to, they need to leave his presence. He had had fellowship with them and had walked among them, but, but they're cast out. So there's, there's condemnation, the Bible tells us. There's this alienation or separation between God and man. And then there's also an internal problem where human beings have this propensity to sin. They're corrupted from the inside. All of that happens because of that sin back in the garden. And so these problems of condemnation and alienation and corruption are, are, are looming before us throughout the whole scriptures. And in fact, I would tell you today, there's still problems that by nature all human beings have. By nature, the Bible tells us we are children of wrath, separated from God and from his promises, and corrupt on the inside. But the mission of this suffering servant actually addresses each of those massive problems between God and humanity. How does he do it? 
Well, first of all, there's this problem of condemnation. Human beings are deserving of punishment. Look at what it says, though, about this suffering servant. It says in verse 4, he was smitten of God at the end of verse 4. And then into verse 5, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Uh, In verse 6, it says, the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Later on, it says in verse 10, the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering. You see what's going on in this chapter? Do you see how this suffering servant is being portrayed? He's being portrayed as someone who takes that guilt, that punishment upon himself. This this punishment that all human beings deserved going all the way back to the earliest chapters of Genesis. This suffering one takes on himself. As a matter of fact, you, you heard these words from Romans 3 earlier in the service. And that's exactly what Romans 3 tells us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but that that God has demonstrated His righteousness in causing His Son to be a propitiation, is the word that's used. That means an appeasement of wrath. And that's right here in Isaiah 53. He's a guilt offering. He bore iniquities. He carried guilt, pierced for our transgressions. You know, the problem with this punishment of God from Genesis 3 on is there is, there's nothing you and I can do to satisfy it. You can't try harder. You can't offer anything to God that would make up for the punishment that is due for your sin. Totally helpless. Totally helpless and utterly deserving of God's wrath. That's the situation we are in apart from this one who takes God's wrath upon himself. That's part of his mission. What about the problem of alienation, separated from God? Well, again, this is addressed in Isaiah 53. In verse 6, we're reminded, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. It's this great image. You can imagine a shepherd with a great flock of sheep and and every one of them is going in a different direction. And and whatever direction they're going in, it's, it's not towards the shepherd. It's further and further away from him. That's that's what it's like in your life and my life apart from this one of whom Isaiah speaks. If If you're following a path in life apart from Jesus Christ, even, even if, 
if you at some level feel like it's a, it's a path toward good things or, or a path toward God or a path toward spirituality or a path toward being a nice person, the, the reality is it, you're going astray. That, that's, that's the condition of all humanity, moving further and further away. And you might see this pattern in your own life. You try this and you try something else and now you're going to rearrange your life to go in a different direction. But you know, all of those things are really superficial. Ultimately, you're going astray. Further and further, alienated from God. So, so that too is a massive problem. Because not only are you condemned, not only do you need to be punished by God because of your sin, but you're, you're moving in a different direction from God. All we like sheep have gone astray. But, it says in verse 6, the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And, and, and it says in verse 11, as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. In other words, what Jesus has come to do is to take that guilty verdict and bear the punishment. And to take that alienation and cause us to be justified with God, to be right with Him. In the New Testament, it's called reconciliation. Isn't that a great thing? Have you ever been alienated from someone, maybe a friend that you had, someone in your family, and something happened? Maybe it was your fault, maybe it was theirs, some combination, but you've been alienated, and you're, you're apart. So hard. You, you, you know there's a distance. But how wonderful it is when you're reconciled to that person. And how much more wonderful it is to be reconciled to God. You are going astray. And yet because of the work of this suffering servant, you're now brought near. The New Testament says, brought near by the blood of Christ. And so now for those who know Jesus Christ, who know this suffering servant of whom Isaiah speaks, it says we have free access to God. The, the scriptures tell us, go, go boldly to the throne of grace to find grace to help in your time of near. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's the kind of language that's used of Christians, and it's based on what this suffering servant has done. Alienation leads to reconciliation. And then there's this problem of corruption. We see it throughout the whole Bible. You see it in your own life. No one had to teach you to sin. You didn't, uh, you didn't have to take a course in that. You don't, no one had to show you how to say unkind things and wreck your relationships and do all sorts of things that you never imagined you'd do. No, no one had to teach you that because, because you're corrupt on the inside. That's what the Bible says. So what does this suffering servant do to deal with that problem 
introduced in the very earliest chapters of Genesis. Well, what he does to deal with that problem is in fact revealed to us in Isaiah 53. What he does is he obeys perfectly. So you and I are corrupt on the inside. You and I are sinners. And yet, and yet he obeys perfectly. So look at this in verse 7. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. And then, and then it says, it was it, the good pleasure of the Lord, in verse 10, will prosper his hand. And in verse 12 it says, he poured out himself to death. He bore the sins of many and interceded. For transgressors. One of the things that is most profound when we look at the last hours of Jesus Christ, these hours that we're meditating on tonight, is how obediently he went to the cross. How he, he didn't express anger, he didn't lash out, he didn't, he didn't disobey. He didn't use the pressure he was under as an excuse to do something other than God's will. You do that, I do that all the time. Well, I sinned, but was under a lot of pressure. Jesus, in those last hours, underwent pressure, loneliness, unlike anything that we've experienced. And yet he obeyed. Remember the, the account that the gospel writers give us of those last hours as he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he knows he's about to be betrayed. Father, if it is possible, let this cup depart from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. And the reason that the obedience of Jesus, particularly in those last hours, is so important for you and for me is the Bible tells us that His righteousness is granted to us if we trust in Him. The, the word that the Scriptures use is a, a, an accounting word. It's credited to us. That is, that is it, it's, it's put on our side of the ledger. As if, as if we ourselves were righteous. So despite our corruption, he lived a perfectly obedient life. And that righteousness, the scriptures say, is credited to us. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our account. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You and I are still sinners. Whether you're trusting in Christ or still going your own way under the wrath of God. In any case, you're still a sinner. And yet, and yet, 
for those who are in Christ, the righteousness of God is granted to them by faith. So the hymn writer says, clothed in his righteousness divine. That's one of the messages of the gospel. It's one of the messages of Isaiah 53. So tonight, I think there are two questions we all need to ask ourselves. The first question, and perhaps the most pressing question, is this. Are you trusting in this suffering servant? Is this one revealed in Isaiah and revealed in even more abundant detail in the Gospels? Is this one the one in whom you are trusting for your relationship with God? Or are you trusting in something else? Something that you think you're going to do to establish a relationship with God, to deal with the problem of sin, to deal with the fact that you are, whether you like this or not, you are under the wrath of God apart from Christ. You are alienated from God. Even even though you, you may say you think you're moving towards God, you're going astray. So if you're in that condition, are you trusting in this suffering servant? Are you looking to Jesus Christ? Jesus makes wonderful promises. He says, He says, the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. And I will raise him up on the last day. That's the promise he makes. That's the call he makes. And like Paul in Athens, we have to say tonight, God commands all men everywhere to repent and trust in in this suffering one. But then the second question I would have to ask you tonight is this. If you are trusting in Jesus, if if you are committed to Him as your Lord, if you understand that he and he alone has paid the penalty for your sin, has done what you could not do, has taken care of the problem of condemnation and alienation and corruption in your life, then the question is, how mindful are you of the sacrifice he bore on your behalf? One of the reasons we come here tonight is not simply to understand for the first time what Jesus has done and to praise him for it, but to be renewed in our understanding of what Jesus has done and to praise him for it. Our hearts as Christians are very fickle, very prone to wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So tonight, it's perhaps a moment for renewing your love for Jesus Christ. Renewing your love for the one who was sorrowful and rejected and pierced and crushed.
for you so that you don't have to bear the wrath of God, so that you don't have to live life without him, and so that you, by God's grace, can be changed day by day while confidently knowing that Christ's righteousness has been credited to you. Let's pray together. Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you that you gave this to the prophet long before Jesus was born. We thank you that the proclamation of these words can show us Christ even today. So tonight I ask that you would convict any who are here and do not know the Savior. And that you would turn the hearts of those of us who are trusting in Christ to more fully love and worship him even as we go into this Easter weekend. And we thank you for these things. In Christ's name, amen.